Falcha, 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 a hard to kill. How the hell are you getting on during this absolutely mental time in world history? I'm sitting in the living room of my house because, like just about everybody else in the country right now, I am uh, doing some social distancing and self quarantine, fan eneru, as they call it, as Kiliga. And now I'm just sitting here looking out at the River Lee recording this and. You might be able to hear the fire crackling away in the background there as well. And despite all the madness, I've actually been kind of enjoying having some time to myself and getting time to do things that I've been meaning to do for a long time anyway. It's been kind of a mad month or two, really, <coughs> for me, which is the main reason why there hasn't been any Rebel Matters podcast episodes for the last while now, because... Um, I was over in Palestine getting the Akli Palestine or the Palestine community gym set up in the Ada refugee camp. That was a few weeks ago and the few weeks leading up to that was uh, quite intense just preparing for it and everything. Then we were over there for about two weeks, a wee crew of six of us, uh, myself, Sally McMonagall, Vicky Langan, Alex Samson, Padre Gill, and Kate Maher were all over there and uh, we, we had a great time we were like absolutely on it for 12 days we were just working not getting that much sleep <coughs> and, and between setting up the gym and visiting people and uh, making friends as well like it was a very intense period of time and we got out just in the nick of time because a few days after we left and got back to Ireland the coronavirus hit Bethlehem and the whole of Bethlehem and the West Bank went on an absolute com absolutely complete shutdown and if we hadn't got the job done when we did we might not have got it done for a number of months uh, definitely not until the other side of the summer anyway so it was really good to do that and the response to that project was class we kind of relaunched the fundraising while we were over there, raised an extra nine grand for the project, got loads of media coverage, and everybody got behind us, the messages we were getting while we were out there. We were getting dozens of messages every day from people in Ireland and abroad as well. <coughs> like, a few days after we got back from that trip, I went off to America with Kneecap to um, go with them on their debut US tour and the first gig was in New York on the 7th of March I think it was and there was people American people coming up to me who had heard of the project and were coming up and giving me hugs and saying well done and they had sponsored the project through the GoFundMe and through PayPal and stuff as well which was absolutely amazing just um it was great to to meet people who were so far away who had who had supported the project and uh, giving them a big hug something that we're not doing these days because uh, we need to stay away from each other for the foreseeable maintain the social distancing guidelines and <coughs> look after one another as best as we can while we get through this unprecedented and quite mental time the kneecap tour was cut short, of course, because the preceding six gigs, 
the six out of the seven gigs after the first one the first one went ahead in new york and then the, the six next ones were all called off because of the coronavirus we were due to come back well what the plan was uh i was due to go to palestine again on the 18th of march and the lads were going to come back to ireland on the 18th of march as well but because the tour was cancelled and things were getting very intense we all came back on the 14th of march left on the 14th arrived on the 15th and the day we got back then uh we had to take the decision here in cork to close Atley, the personal training facility that i run uh, with the great crew in Cork here we had to close it for the first time in six years and and the same as most of the other small local businesses um, but especially the gyms and the places where people have been con- uh, congregating larger numbers we had to close it and it's closed for the foreseeable future now we're still working as a team the Ackley team in Cork we're still working together to train the staff out in Ackley Palestine remotely and we are working on making some new programs and other things that we're able to do while the gym is closed catching up on things that that we were meaning to do all along anyway and then coming up with some new projects to keep ourselves um busy and occupied and keep ourselves creative while we are closed but the first and foremost thing that we are conscious of is the safety of our staff and the safety of the members and the safety of the general public as well so we're closed for the foreseeable future and like as i was saying everybody else most of us uh, like most people out there except for the people who are working on the front lines at the minute uh, working in the hospitals in healthcare and providing essential services for the communities out there and um working in the food shops and stuff like that there we are uh, in a sort of a self-quarantine as the situation unfolds which is of course unfortunate for small businesses and things like that but there is a silver lining on that cloud as well in that um, a lot of us can s- spend more time with our families reconnect with people even though it may be harder to physically connect but um, I've been here writing letters I posted about seven letters today I've been <coughs> practicing more music and uh doing the wee jobs that i've been meaning to do for meaning to do for a long time and i also have a lot more time now to dedicate to the rebel matters podcast to be honest we're not sure how long actually is going to be closed for and one thing that i really want to do is make the most of the time and i've decided to really focus in on the rebel matters podcast as my main project for the next few months um, especially for as long as actually is closed but um i'd like to use this time now to really establish the podcast on a more regular basis and build the fan base and build the community around the podcast as well and there is a small bit of a community there already and really really good um listenership and people who get in touch all the time very very grateful for that there and i'm very also excited for the opportunity to be able to build the podcast and get it up to the next level and engage more with you guys who are out there listening on the social media pages the facebook page the instagram page which is rebel underscore matters and also on the patreon page with which i've developed a little bit uh in the last few days since i've had the time at home here to kind of get stuck into it so the patreon page for anybody who doesn't know is the platform where you can become a patron of the podcast and support it with a small 
monthly subscription like the podcast is free on all platforms and it's always going to be free one of the things that attracts me to the podcast as a medium is the fact that it's widely available it's kind of like a open source and it's free on all 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 platforms this one is anyway i know some podcasts are behind a paywall but this one will never never be behind a paywall so the patreon is a way that you can kind of contribute to the production and the sort of like ongoing uh, creation of the podcast with a monthly subscription and i've set up two tiers on the patreon now there's a five euro per month tier and a 10 euro per month tier there's no difference between the benefits in the five euro tier and the 10 euro tier to you as a patron if you do sign up to either of those it, they're just two levels and you can decide which level you want to support the podcast at if you're considering becoming a patron and as the community around the podcast builds and the listenership builds and more people come on board in the patreon then i'm going to make sure that there's exclusive content going up on the patreon uh rebel matters website and that anyone who's a supporter and a patron of the podcast gets to have an input into the direction of the podcast and get some sort of behind the scene access to see how the podcast episodes are made and everything like that there which is something that i'm really excited about i would be really grateful for anybody who wants to support the podcast in that way because um i really want to give it a crack and i want to have the time to put into it well I have the time now but um it's also good to be able to cover the cost of making the podcast and now with actually closed it's ever more important to have some source of income during this absolutely mental time so i am gonna get myself stuck into making these podcasts and uh, get them done on a regular basis get really good interviews done and um i hope we can build a nice wee connection around the within the community that 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 is around the podcast through the patreon and through the social media so i'm really looking forward to getting that done as well um it's you'll find the rebel matters podcast on patreon.com and that's where you can sign up to uh, become a patron and become a supporter of the podcast if you want to and i would really really appreciate it and if it's not a possibility for you at the minute then that's fine as well keep on listening and enjoying it and what you can do to support the podcast in that case is share it on social media and tell people about it and also get in touch and let me know what you think about it because it's always great to get feedback from people and from you guys and i love it that's kind of what, what keeps me going really like that's what's <clears throat> the main thing that spurred me on to kind of use this time to build the podcast has definitely been people getting in touch and telling me that they're listening and uh, that you're enjoying it and giving feedback and comments and even starting wee discussions about some of the conversations that you've heard on the podcast it's class so let's see what we can do together i'm really looking forward to it and uh i guess the best place to start with the building of the podcast from here is to get cracking with the next episode which is episode 61 with a good friend of mine called lewis kenny i met lewis last year and as you'll hear in the podcast here, he is a man of many talents. He was the poet in residence for the Bohemians Football Club in Dublin. Uh, he's a talented balaclava maker, uh, amongst other knitted garments and vestments. And he is in plays uh, and is... Uh, 
gardener or a horticulturist, I suppose. And has got a really interesting story. And I've been meaning to make this podcast with him for a long time because over the last year we've developed quite a strong friendship and we have had many, many late nights sitting up over a few glasses of red wine and having deep conversations. So we've been trying to get this podcast done for ages. And of course, now with the uh, uh, self-quarantine, we have plenty of time to be doing it. So the other day I recorded this podcast with him on Skype, which is something I'm going to be doing more often now because of the fact that it is uh, not really advisable to be doing face-to-face podcasts at the minute and not really advisable to be out and traveling around and stuff like that there so i'm going to get loads more skype podcast on and i'm going to refine that process as well as you will probably pick up during this episode with lewis there's this fucking clock in the living room that like i'm actually in the living room now in my house and the clock's not working so you can't hear it ticking but the odd time it just takes a notion and starts ticking again and I had my headphones in and I was listening to Lewis while we were recording the podcast. So it didn't actually pick up on the clock ticking during the interview. But then when I listened back to it, when I was doing the editing and stuff like that there, uh, you can hear the clock ticking. So, um, I'm sorry about the wee bit of uh, clock background noise if it drives you mental. And I'll make sure it's not ticking the next time I'm doing a Skype interview. Sorry, lads. Anyway. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Lewis. Let's hit me up on social media about this episode and all the episodes that are upcoming. I really want to hear from you. Um, this is the time for us to communicate with each other, I suppose, more than ever because we can't be as physically present with each other. Then I think this is the time to start making the connections through other mediums. And um, actually very sort of privileged and honoured to have the podcast as one of the things that one of the sort of forms of communication that that can grow and that uh, you can use to stay connected with each other and we can all use to stay connected with each other and hear people's stories during this time. Uh, Hearing people's stories is just something that that, that really uh, makes me tick and I think it's something that I'll, I'll never get bored of is just sitting down with someone and uh, hearing them talk about uh, their own story and their their own, what they're getting up to and seeing what makes them tick, I guess. And especially when it's uh, a dear friend like Lewis. So I'm going to leave you to it. Enjoy the episode. And as usual, there's a wee bit of Roald Dahl at the end after the outro music so if you want a bit of a bedtime story then hang tight with that there if you want to go back to the start of the Roald Dahl book that I'm reading at the end of each episode it's in and around episode 50 or 51 I think I started reading Roald Dahl's Boy uh, Boy Tales of Childhood you can go back and then the chapters are then after every subsequent episode or wherever if you want to make your way through them anyway Cortigil Buen Soltas and a grand show le Lewis Kenny
Oh no, okay. We're live. First time I've done a far, dead side, far side podcast, so unreal. Um, how, how have you been getting on? Uh, yeah, I've been grand. Like everyone, um, everyone I know is like slowly cracking up. But like this is probably the first time I've actually had a couple of days to myself in in years. Um, so I'm actually um, because like my college is closed and my school is closed, so I've never had the I don't think I've ever had this much free time. Um, so I'm actually getting lots of creative stuff done, which is amazing because I never like between college and work I have uh, four hours in a day of me time, and uh, so. I'm, so now I have twenty four seven me time. I'm just getting. <laughs> I just like that. I'm like a dog who has finally caught its own tail. I don't know. I don't even know what to do with myself. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Like, like, it's just mad how things have just changed so fast, like mm. overnight. And then, obviously, like it's shit because, like, people are getting sick and everything. But then, I suppose we're we're kind of in the fortunate position to at the minute like in touch we would not be sick and just have all this time all of a sudden where it's as if like like I find myself doing things the last few days that I've been meaning to, to do for ages like for example like this podcast we've been talking mm. about doing this for like a, about a year a, a year it's a year yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, so it's been sweet but then also it's been very important that like, Jesus has been so like uh, crucial for me to be doing this stuff because otherwise I'd be fucking flipping out because like the like actually basically closed down overnight like yeah she's and that, yeah and that, and um but like uh, not even just for the people in your gym to have that kind of outlet to go to it must be very tough for yourself as an independent business owner yeah like i, th- I think like um th- there's nothing really i've been talking to a few people around town and stuff like that there are different businesses that have closed down and stuff and i think like closing down at an early stage is, is, is being the right thing to do and um, for any small business especially like we're probably on the you know in a business where we need to be super cautious because of the fact that we're working with people who are coming in like obviously sweating and stuff but then we've got a lot of people who work in hospitals coming to train with us and then people who have got like who are already sort of immunocompromised whether they're going through chemo or they have got some sort of medical condition so we just had to like kind of play it on the safe side so uh it's it's completely shit but I'm pretty like we'll we'll rebuild it because we have like a really loyal group of like members and following we've built up over the years whatever and um i think like at the end of the day for us the most important thing is that like we did the right thing at the right time that's like what else, what else can you do like really yeah that's well well this is it for a lot of people they don't really know what to do they don't really know what to do about anything um but just in terms of your situation like my sister's boyfriend runs a gym in Dublin as well and um, he just kind of put the word out to um, his clients that like you know look we're going through a bit of a hard time this is hitting them hard financially and most of them have agreed to um, they're not asking for a refund for the month of their memberships now some people have frozen their memberships and have actually offered to reopen uh, uh, to actually reopen their mem- memberships just so he can kind of see through the month, you know, which is a really nice thing. Yeah, like, I think, like, we, we're, like, seriously really fortunate at the minute with the way that the, the way that Ackley has been built over the last six years in that, like, we, we just freezed everybody's membership straight away, but mm. like, we've worked really hard to, over the last few years, to become sort of, like, 
I guess like financially independent of ourselves that we're not like paying back loads of loans or anything like that there, which has been mm. great. So that we and that's why we're we're in a fortunate position. We're you know, we're not making it. The gym is closed down, the business is closed down, but it's not like there's nobody knocking on our door like looking for a fuckload of money for loans that we need to re- repay or anything like that there, which mm. is good. And the staff, like to be honest, like we've just kind of. It's in its early days yet, like because if a couple of days ago we were thinking, okay, we just need to get ourselves through the next two weeks, and we sort of redirected all our energies at uh, starting to train the staff in the gym in Palestine, which was mm-hmm. something that we were going to have to do pretty much remotely anyway, and it needs to be done regardless. And also, that's not it. Like we're we're doing that. It's just um, for the cause. Like we're not we're not getting paid for that at all. Like so, but at the same time, it's good to be able to focus. On something, um, so we've just been focusing on, on focusing in on that, and then we have some stuff that we like, same as anybody. We had stuff that we were meaning to do all for ages that we didn't get a chance to do because we were so busy, and we're just getting on with it now, which is good as well. Like, and the, the team, the team at the gym are unbelievable. Like, it's just we've just kind of uh, redirected our our energies to things that that we are able to work on that we kind of have still a bit a measure of control over, but then it remains to be seen how long. This is going to go on for like so. It's that that's the uncertainty for everyone, really. Like, I know, yeah, and um, but one of the like the amazing things that I've seen, um, that come from this is actually um how a lot of people are supporting each other, and even though we all have to stay apart, we're all coming together, uh, to help whatever way we can. Which is um, which to be honest, before if you would ask me what would happen in this country if something like this was to happen, from going off previous, um. I suppose emergencies or previous disasters where, um, like you know, with the snow, it only the, the bread was all whipped off the shelves, and, <laughs> yeah. and and it only took two days before someone smashed a JCB through a little. <laughs> I know. Well, actually, but when the snow was here, though, it was like everyone was helping each other. Everyone was the biggest thing that I remember from the snow is that, like, aside from people helping each other, is people got really playful with each other. Like, there's people starting spontaneous snow fights. Like mm-hmm. on the street, and like you fire a snowball at someone, and then all of a sudden they'd fire a few snowballs back at you, and the next thing you'd have a bit of a crack on, uh, like with randomers on the road, which is a class thing. That like that's whenever I was during the time when we had all that snow, I was thinking this is unreal because everyone's starting to play with each other, and you're getting to know people and helping people out, and then it was nearly as if like the day after the snow was gone, everybody was like, right, fuck you, just bastards, fucking push your own car. <laughs> and then everyone went kind of back to normal, which is something that like I really kind of hope that when we come out the other side of all the thing with the virus, that we don't just go back to the way it was before. And I think that maybe this is a lot more serious than a few days of snow or a week of snow, that maybe we're going to have to re- revisit how we kind of structure our society because of the fact that it is like, if there's anything that's it's gone, this has gone to show how fragile everything is like, that it can just stop overnight. And Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, just um, if you like, if you're following, it, like, if you're following anything in the stock markets, you know, um, or anything, I suppose, in terms of like uh, the economic impact of the virus as well, it just seems like that. Um, we're just going to skip the recession stage when we come out of this and go straight into the depression stage, <laughs> and and like even just from talking to loads of like local businesses, I um. I listened to an interview from the lad who runs the Thomas House in Dublin, um, which is a um, it's just like a pub, you know. But it's a really important and really historical pub for the area and the Liberties. And um, you know, they've said like 
by the by the looks of things and the way this is going, they're gonna have to shut their doors for good. And that's like thirty people out of work, and like that's just gonna be the start of it. Um, so yeah, like there is gonna have to be like like you know things in society are gonna have to change like drastically. Yeah, like one thing that I've that I've become like I was conscious of it before, but now I've become even more conscious and aware of it is the fact that when we do kind of come out the other side of this, there's it's such an important time to support local um like local enterprises and small businesses and stuff like that because the fact of the matter is that all those big companies that we have on our high street, like fucking Topshop and fucking River Island, Lifestyle, McDonald's, Burger King, they like they could keep going they could close down for a few years and open up again, as same as they were before mm. this struck. And which which maybe like seems fine on the face of it, but in reality, like I think that that's a big part of the problem with how we're structured at the minute. In in that, like when you look at from the start to the end of the business process for them, where they f- farm cotton and then they get garment workers to work in very poor conditions, farmers to work in poor conditions have a massive destructive impact on the environment. Uh, have a massive environmental impact just to get the clothes from wherever they made them to here and then yeah. pay their workers like shit and then they're they're going to be mm. the last companies that are going to close down as well like look around Cork most of the local businesses have closed for the for the welfare of their staff and stuff yeah. and the big multinationals are still open so I just if there's anything that I hope for is that is that when we reorganise ourselves after this that we uh, acknowledge the importance of supporting local businesses because of this the, sh- the smaller impact it has on the on the planet which would offset these kind of crises in the future and also mm. it's just supporting someone who is working hard like on your doorstep basically absolutely have you ever um watched a video called the story of stuff is it an animation uh yes it would is be it, like an animation is it a person walking this way and then everything changes like they're going through and there's like it's kind of like, is it kind of two, it's a re- two, two tone kind of? Yeah, it's a really basic. It's a, it's a really basic animation. Yeah, yeah, I um, have seen it. Yeah, where it was just like they're showing how um, the production line of the world is a linear thing. Yeah, yeah. So it. it's it's not like a circular thing. So what's being taken out of the earth is not essentially being put back in the way it should, and how um, it's just like a linear thing it was just like where what's being taken out is just being disposed of somewhere else and not in a, it's it's not being properly managed yeah it's not a cycle and it's, no it's not a cycle yeah. and it's just like that is the definition of insanity yeah it was just I, like that to have a linear line of production on a planet with finite resources it's, it's so mental. It's, actually it's funny that you say that because like whatever last year when i did the podcast with dan lambert and mm. we were kind of just a we were actually only really getting to know each other up. I think that was only maybe the second time that we ever met the day that we sat down to do the podcast. And but it's mad how things have changed now, like how, how um, tight we all are in the group at, at now since then. But um, the we were ended up kind of comparing notes with Ackley and Bang Bang. And the one thing that even though they're two different kinds of business, as in many ways, but the common thread was that both of those businesses are set up to be kind of like a mutually beneficial cycle for everyone who's involved in it, from the people who are working there to the people who um, get the service to the people who provide 
like uh, like uh, the the goods to the service and the net impact that it has on the planet it was kind of like mutually beneficial the whole way around to the, even to the benefit of the wider community outside of the four walls of the businesses and yeah i think that's i, I definitely feel like that's why we've built up such a strong um following and how we've still been able to keep in business because of the people recognize that and i think it's the same for bang bang as well mm. but it's just amazing not, it's just not the way it's just not the way that business is done as such because most of the time it's about the bottom line and that's it it's not it's yeah it's not the way it's it's definitely not the way big business is done but i think you can you can kind of get the sense of a business from the minute you walk in you know it's just like what their intentions are what their ethos is um and especially how they treat their workers as well i mean and what we're seeing a lot in this uh like during covid is um those businesses who turn big profits, like some of them massive profits, how they've treated their workers. Yeah. Um, um, I was, I'm very um, lucky, I suppose, in the sense that I've, um, I work in a bar in a theatre, Project Art Centre, and they'd agreed to pay me for the two weeks that of work that I'd lost, um, which which it's not something they didn't have. To, it's not something they had to do. I was, um, I would be considered non-essential staff, like you know, casual. Um, uh, like casual bar work uh, but they still wanted to make sure that we were all sorted uh, I'm, I'm also lucky in the sense that because I get paid by the government to go back to college so I still get to keep that payment as well so at the minute I'm okay like I'm definitely not as hard hit as some people um, but the the horror stories that are coming out for some people who are just like you know on the day they were supposed to come in everyone is told that they're let go and like this is before any provisions or any safety nets were put in for, um, in terms of um, social welfare for people suffering from COVID crisis. Um, you know we're seeing a lot where um, so Fine Gael have just um, are implementing uh, policies that will um, freeze mortgages for landowners, and um, sorry mortgages for householders. Um, but as of now, that there's no such, um, there's nothing being implemented for tenants. So it was like, um, at the minute, nothing is being done to actually protect the tenants. Yeah. Who, it's just like, and what's to say that, you know, and what's to say that a landlord who has had a freeze in their rent will put, like, you know, you're putting a lot of faith in landlords to yeah. actually pass, like, you know, that's like, like that's just total like Fina Gale trickle down economics thing that like that's how they think that works. Yeah, and we, I think and like, and the same as I'd say for the vast like who has enough money in their bank account to keep paying rent when you're not earning any money like over the first month, like hardly anybody like so uh, uh, most tenants are gonna be in a position where they're not gonna be able to pay it and yeah. That's I think like that's another thing when I think of like the possibilities after we come out of this is that we acknowledge we that we're that we're that our eyes are open to the way that like the regular people have been treated during during it and the thing that I'm kind of I kind of I guess kind of worried about at the minute is that we all just get blinded by the fact that the that the coronavirus is going around and that we could all get it and that some people are going to pop more people are probably going to die from it and that we focus only on that and just forget about the fact that like those things that you were mentioning about like the fact that some people are going to 
get uh, a break financially and most people aren't going to get a break financially and it's the thing that the people who aren't going to get the break and the people who are going to be down with it most are going to be the people who are kind of at the bottom of the kind of ladder or whatever oh yeah it's it's um um a class war and that's all it is it's mental so that's a good kind of like if anything good comes out of it, I suppose if, if we can do something collectively and organize ourselves to come out sort of a, with a better model for tenants and everything like that at the end, I suppose that's kind of a positive thing, I suppose. Yeah, the Connolly Youth Movement actually have up on their website. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, they're uh, naming and shaming businesses, uh, big businesses who have um, let all their staff go. Yeah. Um, but they're also posting figures of, you know, it was just like, you know, what were their profits? Yeah, the actually, I seen, the, I seen the link, but it didn't click into it. I just seen it earlier on, just in passing. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose that's, that's where we're at. Like, it's, it's, people are going to be showing up for, really, like, the true colours are going to shine through, I suppose. And, like, the positive side of that is that, like, a lot of businesses and um, are, uh, you know, like, treating their employees pop right and looking out for each other and stuff like that there are people people are looking out for each other see the other side of that I guess but um, mm. here uh, so uh, this is, what have you been up to aside from the virus yeah I was, I, was, I, I was actually just about to say that to you I'm sure everyone is um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what it um, is if anybody wants to skip the depressing part just skip fired. straight to 18 minutes <laughs> Because I was just like, Jesus, it's probably just like, you know, if, if, if there's anyone listening to this podcast, they're probably listening to try and get away from it. I know, I know, sure, all right, sure. That's it, fuck it, let's talk about something else then, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but, right. So, oh, well, we haven't seen well, each other in ages, so what have you been up to for the last while? Since, since the last time we met, uh, you started the college course and stuff like that, so... I started, yeah, yeah, so um, I'm in a level five um, horticulture course out in Cabra, Um so which which is really good it's like something i've always kind of wanted to do in my life and now because i the year before that previously i was a full-time poet um so yeah so i um i would have been a full-time writer teaching in schools doing performances commission works um and then i kind of had like a little i wouldn't call it a light bulb moment but i think it was like a slow realization that that was something that i didn't want to do with my life anymore um so then it all it's it's funny it was like i'd never before in my life set goals until someone said it was like you know you should write down some goals and then try to achieve them um it sounds simple enough um but i was like okay go on so three things i wrote down um were that um i wanted to study horticulture um i wanted to sell more of my knitting because i did a lot of knitting and the third thing is that i wanted to cycle around the country and in the space of three months, I had managed to do all three of those things. Um, I'd cycled around the country, stayed with you for a good bit as well. Um, so um, I got to sell more of my knitwear, thankfully, uh, via your lovely brother, Nisha, and JJ, and Makara, uh, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, and then I got to, I got to just somehow magically just got to... Um, um, uh, beyond this lovely college course and like seriously I've never been happier in my life it's mad like, <laughs> like 
whenever I was thinking about doing this podcast, the two of us doing it together, I was just thinking like the conversation will take its own course because it was pretty hard to figure out where we were going to start because you've, you've just been involved in so many things. And um, mm. so, and then you're also like the poet in residence for both football club as well, weren't you for a while? I was, that was, geez, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I was the poet <laughs> residence for like three years. Um, the first one in Ireland. Um, there have been kind of unofficial poet in residence, I suppose, like Pat Inglesby and stuff. He used to, he used to write poems about bows in the 80s and uh, Michael D. Higgins, um, the, our president, um, he is um, he's the honorary president of Galway United, and he's also a poet. Yeah, so he's actually yes. written poems about Galway United as well. So, but I think I was the first, um, you know, to be officially named, to be officially oh, yeah. titled. Uh, it was incredible. Actually, it, like blew, it got like massive international recognition. It was it, it was funny. It was Dan Lambert actually. He was like. Um, he just rang me up one day and he was like, here, do you want to do this? Just, you know, like, you know, see what comes of it. We thought we might get like a newspaper article or something out of it, you know? And, uh, God, it was just, it's just caught on. Unreal. Jeez. Like, um, <laughs> the, uh, what was I going to say there? <laughs> oh yeah. Do I listen to that? Do you ever listen to that clip? Michael D calling your man a wanker. <laughs> I was just listening to that today. Yeah. Uh, someone posted it. It was good. Uh, <laughs> Brought a bit of uh, humor to the day when I heard that earlier on. <laughs> yeah, he's a serious bloke. I met him once. Um, actually, no, twice I met him. Right, once. Um, the first time I met him, it was um, it was uh, me and my mate Wayne, and we were w- walking through town, and we seen that a car had was coming up the wrong way of a one way street. You know, so the car stopped after realizing what it had done. And we were just standing on the road and we seen this, you know, and we looked in and we were just like, that's Michael D. Higgins. Ah, uh, he was driving up the wrong way? He, well, his driver was driving him up the wrong oh, way. But, shit. But he was in the front and he was like this, you know, just like covering his face, <laughs> trying to make sure that we didn't take photos of him and stuff. And uh, Was he the president at that time? He was, yeah, yeah. Oh, so were they I, doing it on purpose? Sorry? Were they doing it on purpose? Like, was he just trying to get somewhere or was it by accident going up the wrong way? I think it was by accident going up the wrong way or something. Or, or, or maybe he was, um, I like to think that he was in somewhere that he wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> and like, you know, it was just like, you know, because he was covering his face, you know, when he saw that we spotted him. So we were thinking that, uh, you know, maybe there was something, um, there's some secret Illuminati shit going on there that he didn't want us to know about. Um, so then, uh, here, do you want to fucking rattle out a poem? Yeah, I could write a little poem, sure. Since we're talking about it, mm-hmm. that'd be class. Um, well, seeing as how you're all the way down there in Cork, I think I could, um, yeah, I could possibly say a poem, which is um, about growing up in Dublin, but it starts off with a little rhyme that my dad used to say to me years ago, because my dad's a taxi driver, you know, and it's just like, I don't know if... Um, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've ever known a taxi driver, ever been been in a taxi driver's car where they just start rattling off jokes and little things you know yeah. so my dad king of the banter king of the banter right, here yeah. I'll tell you actually a story about a taxi driver kind of connected to Dublin uh, before you bang into that I was over we were in um, we were actually I think we were up with Dan in the bang bang right and then we had to get me and Nisha had to get a taxi across to uh, Fox Rock because we were going to a christening over there and we get this taxi driver who was just, just like that, like he was king of the banter, like he was telling the stories the whole way, and he goes, ah, he's like, um, 
do you know what I love coming over this direction is I just love going to the Bulls shop and because we had been up with Dan okay, the Bulls were playing the night before so I was like oh really a, a big Bulls fan are you he's like oh yeah yeah I love I love Bulls so I do I was like did you see the match last night he's like what do you mean I was like the Bulls the Bulls were playing last night are you not in a didn't didn't see the match right he's like oh no fucking soccer I fucking hate soccer I'm talking about the headphones he's like no Bulls fucking <laughs> <laughs> I was deadly serious and I was deadly serious as well I thought he was talking about soccer club but anyway that's hilarious yep, go ahead oh yeah yeah um, but yeah this is just like a little rhyme that my dad used to say to me so it starts off like this are you from Cork I am a roo do you eat potatoes by god I do now which way do you eat them skin and all you must be joking not at all. <laughs> now, the first rhyming couplet I ever learned, this was my dad's usual morning call. Up on Saturdays for Denny's, batch bread in DDSL Premier Football. And I remember all the elfless, stoned over on the sidelines, cheering us on at nine o'clock. And him in the car home telling me the same taxi driver jokes a hundred times over. I'll have to beg him to stop. It's in the bloody all we say, Lewis, is what makes us the way we are. You can take the boy out of the flats, but you can't take the flats out of the boy, and there's no change in that. Now, we'd stop on the way home from McDonald's, and for him to do his lotto. It was usually around this time to me he'd mutter his same old motto. By this time next year, Lewis, we'll be millionaires. We're on to a winner, he'd say. Or that I'd make me fortune when I was older and I could look after him and me ma one day. Now, he said this was such assurance that I was certain that this was a sure thing. Football, boxing or music, it's your choice, Lewis. So I made sure I learned how to shoot, fight and sing. Now, me brother, different story altogether. I remember one time he drove me home from school, buckled out of his head drunk. Screaming to me every slur under the sun, calling me a frigid or a faggot or any other poxy word he could think of to slag you. Uh, I met him on me holidays was the common phrase I'd have to use back then when I hadn't kissed anyone. It's mad how things change when you were young. Because fast forward only a little bit but now it kind of feels like rewinding in time when I travel up as far as the Ballymun Flats to spit my very first rhyme. Now the soundtrack at those times was Enter the Woo and Straight Outta Compton and Chronic by Dre. We used to get into scraps over who'd be easy and we'd rap the NWA without pause. Relating to a struggle back then before we even knew what a struggle was. And we used to have Pac and Biggie out the phones and we used to stick them together through infrared to straight sonic swap the newest polyphonic ringtones. And when winter came around, the whole place caught fire, came a light with light colour and sound. Bangers and smoke bombs off on the back of the bus, burning all pallets, all tyres and wheelie bins at Broomer and no sooner it'd start would the guards come to smack the fuck out of us when we got smart. Now when that had happened, we take flight over the L wall, Trudy and Dusto snatch and go from an on the run. So what else would you do for fun around here? Tesco trolleys and empty cans. They lit at the banks of the royal corruption. Because your chats are lethal, your tunes are banger, and your docker lumps tucked into your socks. And half day Wednesdays after school, 
the Spence singing songs where all the Alcos on the first look. Now the sound ones, if you asked them right and gave them the odds, they'd run in and get you a few beers. It's mad how things change through the years. Because see, there's things that you learn when you're working class. It's that even for all the broken glass and the bricks and the mortar, they give teeth to back lanes and streets. It's that for all the screeching tyres and the burnt out and the revved up engines that hang on to every breeze. It's that from a spark of a joint beside a bonfire in Animal Lane, you realise it's that from boy to man fully grown, this concrete wild is home. And that'll always be the same. And it's only when you're older that you see it. But to me it's strange. The way some things round here, they just don't change. There you go. Oh, <laughs> Thanks very much for reading that out, or for not even reading it, for doing it off the top of your head. Here, No worries. Um, um, but that was a, so, so that's a really, really short excerpt. Uh, of my play Obsession which I'm hoping to put on this year oh here we were talking about that before we'll have to flip and get that on the go there in the gym in Cork as well oh yeah yeah we were saying that uh, geez, yeah yeah everything's gone to fucking shit since then <laughs> but this is it. it'll still happen yeah yeah oh no it's just like you know the sun will shine again yeah um, here how do, you, how do you come up with your poems how do, how do I come up with them yeah um, so my work is very kind of heavily based in I, I suppose kind of like the life I knew you know it's just like it's very based in the community that I would have grown up in family especially I would write a lot about family uh, family uh, and drug culture so I was just kind of finding where all those three kind of mix um, so coming up with my poems generally what I like to do is like either think of a proverb or think of um <clears throat> a story or think of something that I've just heard, something that was kind of just sticks with me, you know? So for example, that poem starts with this little rhyme that my dad used to say to me when I was younger, you know, and that's something I'll always remember for the rest of my life, even though he hasn't said it to me since I was about seven, but it's, it's, you know, stuck with me, you know? So I think when I'm, when I'm trying to come up with poems, I think of, of all the things in my life that kind of stick with me. Um, that, I, that I'll probably never forget. Right here, do the rhyme again. Are you from Cork? I am a roo. Do you eat potatoes? By God, I do. Now, which way do you eat them? Skin and all. You must be joking. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad the things that you remember, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, but it's funny. Sometimes I do that poem and it's um, uh, people who are a bit older than me, maybe in their 40s and 50s, you know they'll say that back to me. They'll say that line back to me, you know? Yeah. So, like, uh, even when I haven't to prompt them, there's a call and response there. Yeah, it's something, like, yeah, something that I kind of, like, wish I had of maybe taken the time to um, document or record whenever I was younger, but my my um, great aunt, it's my granny's sister from Belfast, Aunt Millie, um, she's dead now a good few years, but she, she used to always, like, get... Like, I'm the oldest in our whole family of, like, there's something like 16 or something grandchildren on one side, on the Belfast side of the family. And uh, she's always get the kids and put them on her knee and just bounce them up and down and do these little rhymes that are, they're, like, well, they're, not, they're like really old from, from the flipping way back when, like, all. And I kind of, like, feel like they're things that 
I don't know if we're going to be if they're going to carry forward. You know, some some of them are are long forgotten now. Mm. They were class just seeing like bouncing up, bouncing, you know, like doing like, doing a little ring a ring Rosie and on of a hundred different versions of it and different types of it. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. No, it's an amazing thing to, to to even just to be able to remember, you know, because like my granddad would have died when I was very young, but he was still one of my best mates up until that time, you know. Um, I used to always go into his house for tea, um, for tea, chat, me watch the football, and um, but he died when I was about ten, ten or eleven, maybe. Um, so I never really actually got to know him properly, you know. So the only thing I really know about him is stuff that my ma tells me. But um, now, no one in my family is like uh, overly political, or they're not really involved in any activism or anything, you know. Um, but I remember just going through my granddad's stuff one day, and I found this copy of James Connolly's Workers' Republic, and he had he had written in it his notes and how. James and how James Connolly's Workers' Republic conflicted with his Catholic views because he was um, so my grandfather was staunchly socialist. You know, he was uh, he was like heavily involved in trade unionism, um, but he was also like staunchly Catholic, which was funny how to see the the the, the conflicts of his pose of his inner mind and his morals and his beliefs of socialism and religion kind of how they come together and just from reading these little notes you know I learned a lot about them about your so granddad about my granddad yeah, yeah they're amazing things to have like like those little mementos you know for sure like I was actually thinking about this the other day when we were over in Boston and things were getting more serious with the virus and stuff someone had actually said it to Dan they were like write write some shit down about what's happening now because it's never going to happen again like it's going to be like people are going to be looking back at this being like that was a massive occur like a massive event in world history like mm-hmm. what's, ha- what's happening now and Glo- yeah global shutdown yeah, yeah exactly and like if someone has written some stuff down about some thoughts about what's happening now and then you know like someone in a hundred years finds it they'll be looking back on it with like wide eyes mm. yeah yeah it's a little it's a like this is it's um, a golden nugget of time yeah, uh, yeah, it is for sure. So, um, tell me, we something we we me and you chatted about before, which I think was kind of maybe one of the first times that we started talking about doing a podcast together. Was we kind of got into a fairly deep conversation about your kind of transition from being a say uh, in that role with Bose as poet in residence, and then um, feeling like it was something that you didn't really want to do anymore. Mm. Um, and the, I think the conversation was sort of centered around <clears throat> something that's not just specific to 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 that situation, but I suppose that like a lot of people could probably relate to, regardless of what field they're operating in, is like that that I, thing I, of like I, building up identity, building up an, a, a, a sort of like a an identity around yourself based on you're doing something, doing one particular thing, whether you're a poet or you're a sports person or whatever, and then realizing that like that we're more than what we do or more than the identity that we've kind of built for ourselves or that other people have built for ourselves. Yeah. It's um yeah, so I suppose just kind of with me was that um so look, I was 
you know, I was a writer, I was a poet. Um, I was a, I suppose, a professional poet, if you can, if like, if there is such thing. I was a press, um, I was a professional poet for like six years. Um, you know, I was on national and international televisions and media outlets across the world. Um, and I loved it for a time, you know, for a couple of years, I was like, this is an amazing thing. Um, cause for the first couple of years, uh, it was spoken word, I suppose, especially not in Ireland wasn't a particularly popular thing. Um, wasn't a particularly well known thing. Um, it, it could even be, it even could, you could even consider it a cultural phenomenon in the sense of, in the sense of Ireland, just, I suppose, kind of the, what kind of seems like a meteoric rise of like, you know, taking some of the best poets in the country out of basements and putting them on stages in front of thousands of people, you know, like, you know, five years ago, that wasn't something that we considered something that we considered possible or like a, um, a clear future, you know? Um, so it was just kind of like going through that and it got to the point where it's a really hard thing to do what you love as a job because what I found happened to me was that I inst- instead of being someone who wrote poems I became a poet and my and I just became Lewis Kenny poet and anytime I introduced myself to people I had it in the mindset that I was like oh I have to be Lewis Kenny poet now and that's what I have to be that's what I'm doing with my life and when you do that you can really limit yourself like um I would consider myself a highly creative person. I like to try new things. You know, I, I, for two years I was a poet. Um, the, the in the last two years I was a poet. I didn't write any poems. Um, you know, I I taught it. I I taught poetry, and I maybe did commission works for people, where it was just like for businesses and stuff. You know, I wrote them like videos and different things, but I, I none of that was bringing me any joy. So it was just like to take on the identity of that and to take on that identity is also to take on an ego and it was just making me miserable. So I kind of felt that that was the right time to just kind of call it a day because I realized I had to go through an ego death. Um, I had to be, I had to go back, you know, I had to kind of, what's the reincarnate myself in the sense that like, you know, I need to go back to the beginning. I was just like, why do I create and why do I want to do this and f- try to find that love again? There's um, there's actually a quote from Stephen Fry um, where he's kind of quoting Oscar Wilde. Um, so he's like, um, what he said was that Oscar Wilde said that if you know what you want to be, then you inevitably become it. And that is your punishment. But if you never know, then you can be anything. And there is truth to that. We are not nouns. We are verbs. I am a thing, an actor. Oh, sorry. I am not a thing, an actor or a writer. I am a person who does things. I write. I act. I never know what I'm going to do next. And I think you can become imprisoned if you think of yourself as a noun. So from now on, every day, I just kind of wake up and think of myself as a verb. You know, it's like, what am I going to do today? Not what am I going to be? And I think that's a powerful statement to make. Um, it's interesting hearing you talk about that because the first the first day that we met, I think must have been about, um, it must have been in July or something last year, around about that early July or uh, end of June or something like that. Because mm. 
so we were up in Dan's house when he was renovating it and uh, you just happened to call around and then we just kind of headed off and also I, I recognised that somehow <laughs> recognised that t-shirt that you were on that day that so- the the soccer jersey yeah it was a cla- yeah, Clapton yeah, jersey yeah, yeah, and Clapton then- jersey yeah and then I- but the thing was that um, I like so we after that kind of went round to bang bang. I had a cup of coffee and we're have, sitting outside having the chats and stuff like that there. But mm-hmm. on that then in that space of time, like, uh, we I think you maybe like shared a little bit of a poem or something with with us. Also, you had the thing that you knitted the Knitting. neck thing, uh, scarf whatever, and dyed the wool yourself. And also, we organised that you were going to stop off in Cork on the way on the way. To like around Ireland while you were cycling around Ireland, so it was kind of I, I suppose that kind of is a good um, endorsement of that thing that you just said about like not just being one thing, because by the from the very first minute that we met each other, I was like, okay, so you're obviously like do you were doing loads of stuff, you were cycling around Ireland, you were able to do poetry, and also you were like, I think it was the pre balaclava days, you were knitting the uh, neck warmers. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And I think do you still have your neck warmer? Yeah, yeah, have it upstairs for sure. <laughs> it's hanging on. It's uh, wrapped around, warming up one of my bed posts at the minute. Good man. I'm actually. Um, uh, it's probably good way to announce it on a podcast. I'm actually knitting you a jumper at the minute. No fuck away. What? Yeah, yeah. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show it to you later. Ah, you're the best. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is. Uh, a- and this is an important thing, okay? And this is an important thing to say for any listeners out there is that um, there is such thing as, you know, there is such thing as male bonding in the sense that we all look out for each other. We all care for each other. And we all, um, it's it's nice to be nice. For sure. Like, um, it's kind of like, if anybody wants to um, see that in action on a, on a, a grand scale they should go to a Damien Dempsey gig yeah <laughs> yeah ab- ab- absolutely it was yeah. just like it was it was just like yeah was, I've only I've been to two Damien Dempsey gigs and I've never received more cocaine and I've never received more, <laughs> and I've never received more hugs in my life yeah from yeah. no no seriously from lads who find it really hard to open like you know I've and I've seen them open I've, I've seen them open their hearts at Damien Dempsey gigs and it's it's a beautiful sight yeah it is for sure and actually and just like on like on a, on a more personal level like I mean that from that time that we met each other which was late June or early July or something like that there like I think you must have stayed down in our house down in Cork for about three weeks out of the next four or five weeks after that yeah it was a beautiful thing no no it was a beautiful thing I always um it like it always really touches me it was just like it was just like you had only met me once you know met me the one time and you were like you know my home is yours you know so anytime I came down I always felt at home you know and like I think um, especially now in the times we live in and stuff you know it was just like it's a rare thing to see in people like I think um I always find that people who maybe come from smaller cities or smaller communities I think have that more kind of community like a community um that kind of like communal vibe you know that we're all here we're all looking after each other yeah, and for uh, sure. and it was something i and it was something i appreciated you know yeah well, it's 
um, thanks very much for saying that, Luke. But uh, yeah, it still stands. You're you're welcome in here anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but here, you see what what you're saying there. Like, it's true. Um, I tell you a funny story. We were, so I'm not only got back from uh, the from the states three days ago because I was over there on tour with Kneecap. So we we travelled over on the sixth of March. They did a gig on the seventh of March, which was their. Um, US debut in New York sold out gig it was unbelievable and then there was a break the next day we were going to Boston and then the shit really started to hit the fan um, with the coronavirus whatever and all the gigs got cancelled we actually a side story went to see Lincoln in a, a wee town outside of Boston like Northampton it was called uh, it was amazing but um, when we went over there uh when we went over there, I got an infection in my arm up here. And uh, I actually didn't think it was infected until the gig. And one of our friends, Taylor, came to the gig. And I was like, here, I was like, I think there's something wrong with my arm here. And she was like, fuck, son, that's fucking infected. That's what's wrong with it. Uh, so I was like, I had to go to the doctor uh, in Manhattan, which I was like, ah, shit. Cause oh, that's it was expensive. expensive. Like, yeah. So I, I called my travel insurance and... Uh, to f- email the details of my travel insurance policy to the it was kind of like South Doc like a kind of emergency like a you know those kind of doctors that's open all the time it wasn't like a, a uh, it wasn't like a GP it was just like a it's kind of like f- open in the middle of the city every day mm. and uh, <clears throat> the phone call to the travel insurance company cost me 60 quid because it was 2 euros a, a minute and uh Turns out they sent the form in, and the people in the the, the two people working on the front desk were sound as a pound. I went down. I was like, "Oh, here!" I was like, "You must be flipping wrecked with this virus thing going around." Like if people coming in all the time. They're like, "Oh man!" Like every two minutes, or somebody coming in with a sneezing or coughing or a sore throat or whatever, and they couldn't test. I was chatting away to them anyway, and uh, they're like, "Look, this form's wrong. You're gonna have to get it sent again because uh, they've got your first name as your second name and your second name as your first name, so we can't put it through." And I was like, oh, I was like, I was that like, is, what? <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, the phone call that I made to get that form sent in cost me 60 quid. And they were like, what? No way. And I was just like, the gate at this stage, like the gigs were getting cancelled and my arm was infected. And, uh, like the lads were off to Central Park hanging out and I was in the doctors trying to get this sorted and I was skint. And in the end, I was just like, look, I was like, just like, how much is it going to cost if I just need to go now? I'll try and claim it back from the insurance. They were like, it's going to be like $250 or whatever, and the prescription was going to be extra. Anyway, I went in to see the nurse, and she was like, geez, you've had a hard day. I was like, I know. She was like, look, I'm going to give you a discount on the prescription. Normally, it'd be like 75 bucks. You'll, I'll give, you can get it for 50 with this discount. And then I went back out to reception, and the, the guy, the girl and guy in reception, Samantha and Frank, Samantha just turned around to me and goes, here, look, Sounds like we had a bit of a rough ride the last day or two. She's like, I'm, I'm going to look after this bill for you so you don't have to pay anything. And Whoa. in America, I walked out, like, just, and didn't pay anything. I was like, at the time, to be honest with you, I was kind of having a hard time with being in New York because it's just like, it's just so busy. And the the, the gap between the people who are working in the shops and the people who are going to the shops in terms of, like, poverty and wealth is enormous. There's so much going on there. There's American flags everywhere. There's cops everywhere. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of, things are tension was rising with the virus as well and I was kind of having a bit of a rough time just in my head and then just when that happened it was just like it's amazing what you know like 
no, regardless of where you are or where people come from, like there's good people all over the world that are, are there kind of like to look out for each other and um that's that's something that's probably even more evident now with the way that like everything is in quite a sharp focus now with uh, yeah. how people interact with each other. Yeah, all legitimately. Um yeah, it's mad. It was just like it, I had another kind of similar story. I remember I went to a Ziggit festival uh, before. This is years ago now, and um, so me and my mate Cody went. We had a great time, um, but then we lost each other somehow, you know. And uh, my phone died. I was wearing like a, uh, I'd lost my t-shirt. I only had a pair of shorts, and I, I mean, it was a thunderstorms and lightning, torrential rain. That happened when I was at Ziggit as well. Actually, big massive. Yeah. All of a sudden, just like thunderstorm. Oh, I wonder if we wonder if this is the same. Uh, or was it last year? Or was it two years ago? No, 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 no. a lot longer. <laughs> All right, not doesn't, doesn't matter anyway. But um, but uh, yeah, and then I couldn't find like I couldn't remember where we were staying, you know, because the lads had checked us in and like you know like they knew and I was like always following them, so I was like, f- I was just like panicking the fuck. I was like right, pissing rain. I've no short fucking uh, no way of getting back and I, I don't even know where I'm going you know and stuff but um, the, the only thing I knew was that it was beside a synagogue so it was just like and like uh, Hungarian is just such a different language and that like so I was just telling people synagogue synagogue and they had no idea what was going on eventually right now listen to this right this was half four in the, half four or five in the morning a woman was on her way she was a nurse she was on her way to work. It was pacing rain with an umbrella, right? She was on her way to work. And I was trying to get on a bus. They wouldn't let me on the bus because I had a top on. And they didn't even know where I wanted to go, if I was going in the right direction or not. So this woman got off the bus. She got off the bus, gave me her umbrella and walked me, walked me an hour and a half to get me to the place where I was staying. No way. And then went to work. Whoa. How incredible is that? Like, oh, and, and then the whole time she was giving me cigarettes as well. And she didn't speak English. Like, she didn't speak any English. Whoa. So it was like we were walking along and kind of not saying anything. And I was just like, that is, like, the most incredible thing anyone could do in that city, you know. And, 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 and like, even from my own thing, I was just being like... Just to always, always have that compassion, you know, for like for anyone, and just like you know, time, like you know, time and money are very, you know, they're not like you know, they're not massively important things, you know. One thing that uh, a kind of similar story, uh, not like, probably not as extreme as your one because I was still had my clothes and all on, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first time make, that I came make down a to, podcast, <laughs> the first time that I came down to Cork, um was like to before I moved down here was to um call into Napiercy, the club that me and my brother Carver were playing for and so we came down to meet the manager and stuff like that there and we were living in Limerick at a time and we we're gonna move down here and the manager says here look there's a match on and away match do you wanna come and watch it? So I went out and watched this match anyway and Sean Ogohalpin was there who I knew a little bit from playing against him and from his couple of times when he visited Belfast or whatever and uh like, this was, like, a major life lesson for me. Like, I was, like, I think I was, like, uh, 
21 at the time, 21, and it had a massive impact on on, on, the, on me since then. Um, and who's Sean O'Halpin, sorry? Sean O'Halpin, who played, you know, he played Hurling for Cork, he's like, uh, actually one of my heroes when I was a kid as well, Alexis. Uh, a good few years older than me and he played Hurling. is this the fella that's like a giant shit brick house that like <laughs> is that there's like that famous video of him like shouldering this fella out of the way before like he no, hits like a 70 yard that's, no that's, that's Dermot O'Sullivan so Sean O'Gahalpin played for Cork for a lot of years and his mom was from Fiji and his dad was from Fermanagh Michael Mahurti has a comment uh, oh yeah yeah it was just like yeah. his, his yeah, mother yeah. from Fiji his father from Fermanagh neither are yeah. hurling strong the stronghold yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's so, Sean Oak so yeah. um, like we, so I went to the match anyway and after the match Sean Oak, I was chatting to Sean Oak on the sideline because he wasn't playing because he was training with Cork at the time and then he was like offered to drop me down to the bus station and at this time like Sean Oak was peak famous in Cork like he still is but for him to walk down the street like the people coming up to him all the time and stuff and he walked me down to the bus station and people were coming up to him and having a chat with him and he was being re- re- real nice to people and uh, giving people the time and stuff like that there when you're coming up to him it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night and sure didn't we miss the bus uh, and he says right I'll drive you to Limerick it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night he was going to drive me back up to Limerick and then turn around and drive back down to Cork again, be back in Cork for like two or three in the morning and then get up for work, whatever, at seven o'clock in the morning the next morning. And uh, wow. and for someone who has so much respect for as even as a kid to do that, I was like, in my head, I was like, no way. I was like, you're like, I wasn't going to have that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no way. I was like, can't, like uh, you can't drive yeah. me to Cork. I was like, it's too much. So yeah. I actually ended up just staying up in his gaff. And then the next morning he dropped me down to a John Gardner's house who's another Cork player uh, at the time, and John happened to be driving to Limerick for work, so he dropped me up to Limerick, but on the, in the meantime, gave me like a massive amount of gear, like jerseys and uh, tops and stuff like that there, and shorts, so I ended up back in the, the house that I was staying in Limerick uh, for university, with like the next day, with a load of tracksuits and tops and stuff, just being like blown away by like just the kind of... Uh, guess like kindness I suppose yeah 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 by, by these two two fellas that I've been watching playing as I, when I was a kid I was watching them like playing at Croke Park so it's mad you know it's um, and it's good when things like that happen because when they do have a big impact on your life then you kind of pass that on to somebody else if you ever get the opportunity to do so yeah yeah Jesus like there was one time I remember I met Gary Breen in a in a hotel, it was the Wolves, the, the Wolves team were in the hotel, and my dad fought Mick McCarthy in the hotel, like he got drunk and then like had a, like like had a scrap off him in the hotel, and then the next morning I got to meet Gary Breen, and um, I tripped, I, tri- I tripped on the way over to shake his hand, and then just kind of like, headbutted him in the bollocks. <laughs> And I was just like, how is this hotel not trun us out yet? Like, you know, I love Gary Brain and the bollocks and my dad has a fight off Mick McCarthy. What's <laughs> yeah. your look? Yeah. Um, here, um, people are probably wondering what that is in the background there. Oh, this, this is um, a beautiful artwork made um, by Lost the Plot, um, DJ Provi. Your number one customer for Balaclavas. 
my number, my only customer. For, uh, no, no, I, actually, no, sorry. I've only, I've had three customers for Balaclava. No, two customers for Balaclavas. One was JJ, and the other one was Roxanne and Liam. I seen it. I seen it. Was it like a purple one or a pink one? Yeah. So she has uh, two twin sisters, Ruby and Amber, and uh, so she commissioned me to make um, a purple and pink Balaclava for them. But this uh, JJ actually, uh, with the kindness of his heart, because like JJ actually did pay me for the because the first Balaclava I made him was real. Sorry, the first Balaclava I made was um like this real bockety looking thing um and uh but someone actually stole that on him uh, at a festival someone stole his bag so we lost that one and then um then he commissioned me to make another one um and then so the second one it, it, it's it's actually good that someone robbed that because the second one i made him was actually like really good and you because, made, i think you made the first one in this room that i'm sitting in oh yeah 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 yeah, I remember yeah, I sitting that. right there, just in front of where I am now, didn't it? And he didn't know yeah. what was coming. No, 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 no. Because I was, because I think, because I told him like when I was like uh, heavily intoxicated, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll make you a balaclava. I didn't think he'd actually think I would do it, but but there you go. And um, but yeah, as a like a thank you, um, as a thank you for that, JJ made me this, which I. Which I think, um, from what we were talking about, identity and ego and stuff, I think is also kind of quite apt. It says, uh, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> and like, the, the pieces of art that JJ makes are unbelievable. They're on that um, Instagram page, the art inside my head, if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, it's such a nice thing to have one of those. <laughs> Actually, you know yeah. what? it's way bigger than I thought. Like When you see them on Instagram, you think they're A4 size, but that one's massive. Oh, this is um, yeah, it's probably like maybe that is a four size, and you're just really small. No, I think this is a two. Yeah, it's nice size. It's nice. Um, yeah, it's a good canvas. Tell me this here. Um, so I'm gonna go and read a story live on YouTube to people. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody who tunes in in like in about fifteen minutes. Um, be any chance? Would you be able to? Uh, say the poem about the time that you took md for the first time oh the the it, the poem where i'm in the gaff and i've taken mdma the first time you took it yeah absolutely amazing uh so this is a poem called uh, md amazing <laughs> so as we take a fill of overkill and these ghostly crushed up looking little blue pills with nothing but a flat kind of grulch to pop away i find a nice warm bit of the bed and cuddle up Barely able to even fit onto it. Now, I'm wrapped up in perfectly weighted skag blankets and cheap faded toy toy tops as we excitingly wait to awaken the wide-eyed prophets that lie dormant deep within us. Now, some already got noticed to do so from looking around, I assume. And even though I shudder at the draft creeping in from the window of this poorly insulated room, I simply light another rolly because I take great solace from the promise of what my mates have just told me, that I'll be coming up soon. And that the massive amount of MD that'll be flowing through me and through my veins will fewer sustain me. Remove all pain as I gain eternal empathy for those around me. And I know this might just be the drugs talking now, but at any rate, the walls of social barriers that generally separate us have been temporarily broken down. So right now in this present moment, I think you are all really fucking sound. So I go give Rebecca a tug of a jumper. Then I jump up the hugger and tell her I love her. 
even though I only know her a couple of days, I'm in a utterly, utterly, lovey dovey love haze, bro. And then I hover what feels like three feet in the air as I move over to caress the curious curls of Emma Chambers' voluptuously original hair as if to say that I'm an explorer and I've found a new world and I'm going to live here for a while. But then I went nowhere this deep in trance and hypnotic house music hits me and I feel like I could achieve anything in the world but remove this smile. This is MDM amazing. You've no idea how happy I am right now. I bellows, I throw on a slick pair of shades I got from somewhere which for some reason saw fit to tear up half the room to find. Just so I could disguise me dilated eyes and settle a score on me typewriter jaw which I couldn't help but grind. But the beautiful thing about it was was that nobody else here seemed to mind. All equals. Everyone's just happy to be having a good time. Cody in the corner buzzing away can't seem to do a thing wrong on DJ as he plays a sweet tune and musical flirtation to the palpitating strings of our hearts. Join us all, we are all stars of a consolation and sang severally to the sky revelations. It's just good vibrations. It's a sweet sensation. His sensation vibrates heavy melodic waves throughout the reserve flow and energy in my body. I'm on top of the world right now, man. And nobody here is going to stop me. Except fast forward two hours later and I've started to come down. <laughs> Fuck. I feel as though I've been raw fucked and jaw hooked by the session and all I can say in his presence is good golly Miss Molly. And even though I sit here with a tired frame weighed down by stale dreads of perspired hair, I don't despair to expire but rather sit back and admire the experience that I've just been through. And even though I aspire to respire back the life, that feeling of higher existence, I think it's best in this instance just to retire. Because I'm feeling absolutely dire. And I think the temp fate and try to acquire another supplier would just be fanning a fiery flame to the already flaring funeral pyre. <sighs> But the rest don't seem to be down and done. Nah. See, because even though they have that frivolous fun, they frantically crave just another one. One more yoke before the sun comes out. One more yoke just to keep the buzz going. One more yoke and no joke. That'll be it for us for the night. And we can all cuddle up together and sleep tight together, bound forever by the bonds of yip friendship. But by now the sun's out. And there's only one left standing. Everyone knows them. Every group has one. You know that one member of the group who just can't seem to let the buzz die, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen someone yipped out of it exposed by breaking daylight, but it is one of the most sickening sights you're ever likely to see. Especially if you're skagging absolute balls right now like me and you just wanted to drift off to sleep to some degree easily. But you can't because of this babbling creature with transformed features, like a nocturnal beast caught in morning fever, and a blackness that has consumed his eyes to make him seem soulless, as though trying to fill a hole inside him with this drug that gives him temporary relief from his inner insanity. Good golly, Miss Molly. You're broken, my reality. Where once everything seemed beautiful and real to me, now seems to be slipping freely through my hands. It's like trying to hold on to a fistful of sifting sand. Life and time is slipping precariously away from me. And I'm aware that what goes up must come down. But right now, in this present moment, I am free falling to the fucking ground. I just wanted a nice warm bed and all the comforts of home. But instead, I'm lying on a cold bare sole floor, wrapped up in a dome of jackets I made for myself to shelter me from this 
desolate crack then to be. And as I flip my last spliff, in the hope that I'll soon be able to drip off the sleep of some degree easily, I spark up, sit back, exhale, and chuckle to myself a self-hitty of misery. <laughs> Man, what a fucking drug is ecstasy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> uh, thank you. I remember the first time that I heard you saying that poem was in the storytelling night in Ackley. And it was, that was a great one. It was about 20 of us or, or 15 or something like that. Everyone was in stitches laughing at it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because everybody knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, whether they wanted to admit it or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you. Here, um, I, I'm going to have to go and get ready for this uh, next little storytelling bit uh, live on YouTube. But Brilliant. for about Gary get for like, uh, being here on the podcast and stuff. It's the first one, hopefully the first of um, as many as we can squeeze in during the period of uh, isolation that most of us find ourselves in at the minute. Um, mm. But I'd, I'd love to do another one together sometime soon as well, because at January we could just sit here talking for another few hours and keep going with the conversation. Yeah, well, very soon it's going to be me and Roxana. We're going to be cycling down to you, so... Shouldn't be too long. Unbelievable. I'm really looking forward to it there. Um, so, uh, any parting word for the masses? Um, I think if people haven't gone around to explore Ireland yet, like their own country, like really just get out there. Uh, if you have a bike and you can do it, it's really a, it's a really affordable thing to do. Um, and you, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, it really, it really did a lot for me. Um, and if anyone uh, wanted uh, help with it, um, I could do that. What's the Irish phrase? What's a Nicarica Corlicela? Nicarica Corlicela. Yeah. Definitely. Um, actually, sorry, that could be a topic of the next podcast that we do together because um, that was kind of one of your major things that you did in the summer there. And every every time. I think about that cycling trip. I think about the day that we were having the gym jam at Ackley. And that was I'd cycled from y'all. <laughs> you look <Yeah>. like <laughs> a man who was about to die. <laughs> I just got in. Well, because well, there was also because I didn't know you that well either, right? It was um, that was another thing I appreciated because I had no money. I couldn't get money out because my bank card had broken the road, and um, I didn't have money to go into the gym jam. I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have money for food or for drink or anything and you just looked after me the whole time I was there and um, no seriously yeah I don't forget it like uh, it was like um, it was a very special night all around actually and you were like a, um, looking back on it now like oh I was a, wearing a the skirt part, a major part of the proceedings <laughs> yeah 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 I was wearing a skirt uh, bleeding I got the place cleaned up as well yeah I rallied, ra- rallied the troops and got the place clean. Uh, it's seven o'clock in the morning the next day. <laughs> C- cuddle puddle on the ground. But I, um, I hope that um, we're going to see each other for a cuddle puddle very soon. <laughs> <laughs> a social distance cuddle puddle. Yeah. Oh yeah, shit. We're going to have to figure something out about that. Maybe we can like wrap ourselves in cling film first or something like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Here, McCarra, right. um, I'll speak to you very soon. Here, Grandmore. Um, big, fucking big love, elbow yeah, tap. Uh, elbow tap. Actually, <laughs> but, uh, but 
Well, well like just really quick, you know when they're saying like uh, about elbow taps and stuff, but that's where I'm coughing and sneezing. But, uh, that's so exactly I what I said. <laughs> she likes coughing your left elbow and tap with your right elbow. Yeah, it was just like you might as well just let me like lick your face. Like <laughs> right here. Oh, starting Enjoy right, the rest of the night. Slango for it. of Roald Dahl's book Boy Tales of Childhood is called Little Alice and the Boyle if you want to go back to the start of this book then go to episode 51 of the podcast here and you'll find the first chapter of this book at the end of that episode Little Alice and the Boyle During my third term at St Peter's I got the flu and was put to bed in the sick room where the dreaded matron reigned supreme in the next bed next to mine was a seven-year-old boy called Ellis, whom I liked a lot. Ellis was there because he had an immense and angry-looking boil on the inside of his thigh. I saw it. It was as big as a plum and about the same colour. One morning, in came the doctor to examine us, and sailing along beside him was the matron. Her mountainous bosom was enclosed in a starched white envelope, and because of this she somehow reminded me of a painting I once had seen of a four-masted schooner in full canvas running before the wind. What's his temperature today? the doctor asked, pointing at me. Just over a hundred, doctor, the matron told him. He's been up here long enough, the doctor said. Send him back to school tomorrow. Then he turned to Ellis. Take off your pyjama trousers, he said. He was a very small doctor with steel-rimmed spectacles and a bald head. He frightened the life out of me. Ellis removed his pyjama trousers. The doctor bent forward and looked at the boil. Hmm, he said. That's a nasty one, isn't it? We're going to have to do something about that, aren't we, Ellis? What are you going to do, Ellis asked, trembling. Nothing for you to worry about, the doctor said. Just lie back and take no notice of me. Little Ellis lay back with his head on the pillow. The doctor had put his bag on the floor at the end of Alice's bed and now he knelt down on the floor and opened the bag. Alice, even when he lifted his head from the pillow, couldn't see what the doctor was doing there. He was hidden by the end of the bed, but I saw everything. I saw him take out a sort of scalpel which had a long steel handle and a small pointed blade. He crouched below the end of Alice's bed, holding the scalpel in his right hand. Give me a large towel, matron, he said. The matron handed him a towel. Still crouching low and hidden from little Alice's view, by the end of the bed, the doctor unfolded the towel and spread it over the palm of his left hand. In his right hand, he held the scalpel. Alice was frightened and suspicious. He started raising himself up on his elbows to get a better look. Lie down, Alice, the doctor said. 
and even as he spoke, he bounced up from the end of the bed like a jack-in-the-box and flung the outspread towel straight into Ellis's face. Almost in the same second, he thrust his red arm forward and plunged the point of the scalpel deep into the centre of the enormous boil. He gave the blade a quick twist and then withdrew it again before the wretched boy had had time to disentangle his head from the towel. Ellis screamed. He never saw the scalpel going in and he never saw it coming out, but he felt it alright and he screamed like a stuck pig. I can see him now struggling to get the towel of his head and when he emerged the tears were streaming down his cheeks and his huge brown eyes were staring at the doctor with a look of utter and total outrage. Don't make such a fuss about nothing, the matron said. Put a dressing on it, matron, the doctor said, and with plenty of mag sulf paste. And he marched out of the room. I couldn't really blame the doctor. I thought he handled things rather cleverly. Pain was something that we were expected to endure. Anesthetics and painkilling injections were not much of a thing in those days. Dentists, in particular, never bothered with him. But I doubt very much if you would be entirely happy today if a doctor threw a towel in your face and jumped on you with a knife. Goat's Tobacco When I was about nine, the ancient half-sister got engaged to be married. The man of her choice was a young English doctor, and that summer he came with us to Norway. Romance was floating in the air like moon dust and the two lovers, for some reason we younger ones could never understand, didn't seem to be very keen on us tagging along with them. They went out on the boat alone, they climbed the rocks alone, they even had breakfast alone. We resented this. As a family, we'd always done everything together and we didn't see why the ancient half-sister should suddenly decide to do things differently, even if she had become engaged. We were inclined to blame the male lover for disrupting the calm of our family life and it was inevitable that he would have to suffer for it sooner or later. The male lover was a great pipe smoker. The disgusting, smelly pipe was never out of his mouth except when he was eating or swimming. We even began to wonder whether he removed it when he was kissing his betrothed. He gripped the stem of his pipe in the most manly fashion between his strong white teeth and kept it there while talking to you. This annoyed us. Surely it was more polite to take it out and speak properly. One day, we all went in our little motorboat to an island we'd never seen before. We'd never been to before. And for once, the ancient half-sister and the manly lover decided to come with us. We chose this particular island because we saw some goats on it. They were climbing about on the rocks and we thought it would be fun to go and visit them. But when we landed, we found that the goats were totally wild and we couldn't get near them. So we gave up trying to make friends with them and simply sat around on the smooth rocks in our bathing costumes, enjoying the lovely sun. The manly lover was filling his pipe. I happened to be watching him as he carefully packed the tobacco into the bowl with a, from a yellow oilskin pouch. He had just finished doing this and was just about to light up when the ancient half-sister called on him to come swimming. So he put down the pipe and off he went. I stared at the pipe that was lying there on the rocks. About 12 inches away from it, I saw a little heap of dried goat droppings, each one small and round, like a pale brown berry. And at that point... An interesting idea began to sprout in my mind. I picked up the pipe and knocked all the tobacco out of it. I then took the goat's droppings and teased them with my fingers until they were nicely shredded. Very gently, I poured these shredded droppings into the bowl of the pipe, packed them down with my thumb, just as the manly lover always did it. When that was done, I placed a thin layer of real tobacco over the top. The entire family was watching me as I did this. Nobody said a word, but I could sense a glow of approval all around. I replaced the pipe on the rock and all of us sat back to await the return of the victim. The whole lot of us were in this together now, even my mother. 
I'd drawn them into the plot simply by letting them see what I was doing. It was a silent, rather dangerous family conspiracy. Back came the manly lover, dripping wet from the sea, chest out, strong and virile, healthy and sunburnt. Great swim, he announced to the world. Splendid water, terrific stuff. He told himself vigorously, making the muscles of his biceps ripple. Then he sat down on the rocks and reached for his pipe. Nine pairs of eyes watched him intently. Nobody giggled to give the game away. We were trembling with anticipation and a good deal of the suspense was caused by the fact that none of us knew just what was going to happen. The manly lover put the pipe between his strong white teeth and struck a match. He held the flame over the bowl and sucked. The tobacco ignited and glowed and the lover's head was enveloped in clouds of blue smoke. Ah, he said, blowing smoke through his nostrils, there's nothing like a good pipe after a bracing swim. Still we waited. We could hardly bear the suspense. The sister, who was seven, couldn't bear it at all. What sort of tobacco do you put in that thing, she asked with superb innocence. Navy cut, the male lover answered. Players, navy cut. It's the best there is. These Norwegians use all sorts of disgusting scented tobaccos, but I wouldn't touch them. I didn't know they had different tastes. The small sister went on. Of course they do, the manly lover said. All tobaccos are different to the discriminating pipe smoker. Navy cut is clean and unadulterated. It's a man's smoke. The man seemed to go out of his way to use long words like discriminating and unadulterated. We hadn't the foggiest what they meant. The ancient half-sister, fresh from her swim and now clothed in a tall bathrobe, came and sat herself close to her manly lover. Then the two of them started giving each other those silly little glances and soppy smiles that made us all feel sick. They were far too occupied with one another to notice the awful tension that had settled over our group. They didn't even notice that that every face in the crowd was turned towards them. They had sunk once again into their lover's world where little children did not exist. The sea was calm, the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day. Then, all of a sudden, the manly lover let out a piercing scream and his whole body shot four feet into the air. His pipe flew out of his mouth and went clattering over the rocks and the second scream he gave was so shrill and loud that all the seagulls on the island rose up in alarm. His features were twisted like those of a person undergoing severe torture and his skin had turned the colour of snow. He began spluttering and choking and spitting spewing and hawking and acting generally like a man with some serious internal injury. He was completely speechless. We started him, enthralled. The ancient half-sister, who must have thought she was about to lose her future husband forever, was pawing at him and thumping him on the back and crying, Darling, darling, what's happening to you? Where does it hurt? Get the boat, start the engine. We must rush him to a hospital quickly. She seemed to have forgotten that there wasn't a hospital within 50 miles. I've been poisoned, spluttered the manly lover. It's got into my lungs. It's in my chest. My chest is on fire. My stomach's gone up in flames. Help me get him to the boat quick, cried the ancient half-sister, gripping him under the armpits. Don't just sit there stirring. Come and help. No, 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 cried the now not-so-manly lover. Leave me alone. I need air. Give me air. He lay back and breathed in deep draughts of splendid Norwegian ocean air, and in another minute or so he was sitting up again and was on his way to recovery. What in the world came over you? asked the ancient half-sister, clasping his hands tenderly in hers. I can't imagine, he murmured. I simply can't imagine. His face was as as still and as white as virgin snow, and his hands were trembling. 
There must have been a reason for it, they added. There's got to be a reason. I know the reason, shouted the seven-year-old sister, screaming with laughter. I know what it is. What was it? snapped the ancient one. What have you been up to? Tell me at once. It's his pipe, shouted the small sister, still convulsed with laughter. What's wrong with my pipe? said the manly lover. You've been smoking goat's tobacco, cried the small sister. It took a few moments for the full meaning of these words to dawn upon the two lovers. But when it did, and when the terrible anger began to show itself on the manly lover's face, and when he started to rise slowly and mechanically to his feet, we all sprang up and ran for our lives and jumped off the rocks into the deep water.